Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Verse 5 says, Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, and their wives. So he didn't even have to walk. Carried all their little ones, all their wives, in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. Verse 6, They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his daughters' daughters. All his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. So he's taking everyone. This is a full uproot. He's not leaving anybody back in the land of Canaan as a just-in-case. Like, they're all in at this point. They're all in with the plan of God. It says, Now these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons. So, verses 8-25 through 25 here, it names all the names of his family. Uh which we're not going to read right now just for time's sake, but you can check those names out. The lineage of Christ is in there under Judah Hez, uh, uh, and Perez. But I will say this about, about lists of names as we come across them in the Bible. They, they can feel boring when you come ac- across them it, because there's no real like application at first, right? To historians that geek out on genealogies, it's an amazing thing. And you know what? It's fun to go read those historians and what they say about genealogies. But sometimes it can be hard to appreciate. But one thing I do appreciate about these lists of names is that it reminds me that God loves individuals. Like God cares about the individuals. It's not just all big picture for Him. Every individual in this list and all the other lists were important to God. They were individuals that God wanted marked down. If I were to make you a list of my family... Like, let's say I was an old man like Jacob and I had great-grandkids and I wanted you to know my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids. I would write down every single name because I love them so much, because I want you to know them, because I want them to be associated with me. And guess what? That's God's heart too. And, And it's not just the people in the Bible. Do you know, if you're a true believer, your name is written in a book. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. Why would he have to write your name in a book? Like, God's not going to forget. It's not like he needs to refer like Santa Claus. Let me make my list and check it twice. Like, he doesn't need that. But, but he intentionally writes your name down. And I, and I can't help but think he personally writes it down. He loves you. He loves me. He delights in this. And it, it was just a reminder to me as I was considering genealogies. Uh, Verse 26, it says, All the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's son's wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. Numbers are interesting in the Bible. Sometimes, there is great significance given to the numbers. Not all the time. Sometimes we can really over-spiritualize the numbers. Like the 153 fish, you know, people really like stretch to, to talk about what that 153 number means. But there are reoccurring numbers 
that do have deeper meaning when they pop up. And this 12 and 70 occurs numerous times throughout the Bible. It's interesting because here, the family of God, this nation that God is building, has 12 patriarchs and has 70 people representing that family coming into Egypt. 12 and 70. In Moses' day, this nation grows rapidly. I mean, God grows the, the, the nation of the Israelites tremendously in, in the land of Egypt. In the span of 400 years, they perhaps exceed 2 million. So in Moses' day, this massive nation now is represented by 12 tribes. But Moses appoints 70 elders to oversee the people. 12 and 70. Maybe some of you know where I'm going with this. Jump to the New Testament. When Jesus selects His disciples, He had 12 close disciples who we know as the apostles. But in Luke, it's also listed a number of disciples He sent out. A larger number of disciples was 70 disciples. 12 apostles, 70 disciples. Now again, I don't want to over-spiritualize this. I'll just say it's possible that this is one more hint that what we have in the New Covenant, that the church, disciples of Christ, we are the true family of God. We have become the true family of God. Not that we have replaced Israel. Don't misunderstand me. We have not replaced Israel. But that through Christ, we have been grafted into this family, as Paul has said. And so you and I, we are like, we are like God's sons and daughters because of our faith in Christ. Even though you're probably not Jewish. Maybe some of you are. But most of us probably are not. Verse 28, it says, He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He had presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. So after 20 years, this grand reunion takes place. Both Jacob and Joseph are overwhelmed here with emotion. I mean, could you imagine experiencing something like this? Could you imagine receiving a loved one back from the dead? Like you've lost them to the greatest enemy. They haven't moved away. They haven't left you. They've died. Now, obviously, Joseph didn't actually die, but to Jacob, he did. He was dead and gone for 20 years. And all of a sudden, here he is alive and well before him being received. During the ministry of Jesus, this literally happened numerous times. People received their, dead, their, their loved ones back from the dead. To experience that horrific grief of a parent losing a child, but to have it reversed, to have that undone. Could you imagine how, that, how amazing that would feel? And to be restored with that, with that loved one. I mean, it just... It, I'm excited. I'm excited because I want to tell you there's a day for every believer in Christ to be reunited. We will, all, we will all see each other again. We're all going to live our lives, go separate ways, hopefully see each other throughout life. But one by one, we're all going to die. We'll have to experience the loss of each other, the loss of our parents, the loss of our friends and our brothers and sisters, perhaps even the loss of our children. But there is coming a day after all that when there will be a grand reunion in Christ. 
that everybody who's put their faith and trust in Jesus will see each other again. And that is going to be a glorious day. This is just a hint of that. This emotion experienced here. Could you imagine this happening on a grander scale where there's multiple people seeing each other again after decades of being separated by death? Death has been removed. And though Joseph never died, this is a real picture of that resurrection hope that we have in Christ. So they're reunited. Joseph explains to them now his plan while they dwell in Egypt. He's like, guys, now that you're here, you're on my turf, let's do it this way. Let me, let me tell you this plan. Verse 31. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? Like Pharaoh's going to check that Joseph was telling the truth. What is it that you guys really do? Verse 34, you shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth. Even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. He's like, okay, so I've, I've made sure, I'm going I'm to make sure to go tell Pharaoh that you guys are a bunch of stinky, dirty shepherds. Uh, you also be sure to, you know, we'll corroborate this. You guys go in and make sure to confirm that you're just a nasty shepherd keeper and you don't shake, they don't shake hands with you and you won't shake hands with them and just embrace it. They'll probably look down at you. They won't want to eat with you. I've lived this for the last 20 years, Joseph would say. It's all good. It's cool. You'll get used to it. You'll be really ostracized, but this is our plan. This is our plan. So they won't want to dwell with you, and you can live in the land of Goshen. And he'll be nice, and he'll say, why don't you guys take that plot of land over there where we can't smell you because you're an abomination to the Egyptians. This is a part of the plan. Why Why would they do it this way, though? God, God wants to protect them and provide for them. By the way, the land of Goshen was a beautiful place. It was, it was lush and green. It was the perfect place for livestock. Um, but in doing this, the Lord was protecting them in the land of Egypt, but keeping them separate from the Egyptians. And Joseph is like, look, don't be ashamed to proclaim that you are a shepherd. Don't be ashamed to tell them that you're doing what God has told you to do in raising flocks. To them, it's an abomination, but to us, it's our livelihood. It's what God has called us to do. Don't be, don't be ashamed to proclaim that, even if it's an abomination in their culture. You boldly say that you're a shepherd to, to Pharaoh himself. And don't be afraid of the, the fallout from that. Don't be afraid of the repercussions of being something that they've rejected. And maybe you are picking up on this, but there's a real parallel here to Christianity. To be a Christ follower. Their title of shepherd is very similar to your title as a Christian. Especially today. I mean, there are people today that are just outright hostile towards Christianity. uh, Who will hate you. Who will unfriend you. Who will block you. Who will disregard anything you think and say and do from the point on, if you make it known that you're a Christian. Don't be ashamed, though. Don't be afraid of the repercussions of identifying yourself 
with Christ. The title of Christian, guys, should be one that defines who you are. It should define what you do. It shouldn't just be something you say. But when it comes to defining yourself as a true Christian, a Christ follower should be the most significant thing about you. Hopefully you don't just go on random dates with people you don't really know. But if you're, if you're meeting new people and they ask you something about you, they should know that the most significant aspect of your character and your life is that you're a Christ follower. I mean, not that you have to be annoying about it and beat them over the head, but something's wrong if you've been working with someone for five years and they don't know you're a Christian. You know, something, there, there's something amiss when your family members haven't seen any change in you since you followed the Lord. Don't be ashamed of the name of Christ. Don't be ashamed to bear that name. It's a title that we ought to carry boldly no matter what it costs us. And we shouldn't be ashamed to associate with Christ at any cost. In fact, it says that if we're ashamed of Christ, He'll be ashamed of us. If, if you don't claim the name of Christ before men, He will not declare your name before the angels and the Father in heaven. He will be ashamed of you in that day. Whew, I don't want that. I want to represent Him boldly. A lot like the title of the shepherd, it's also a, a title that we ought to carry, especially when it costs us. He's saying, hey, it's going to cost you something. They're not going to like you, but don't worry about it. Like God's in this. And we should be the same as Christians. You know, tragically, a, a lot of Christians, I, I won't even say Christians. I'll say a, a good way to identify a fake Christian is when someone only claims to be a Christian when it benefits them. When it helps them sell a car. When it helps them look good in front of somebody else. Oh, when it helps them maybe get a date with that nice Christian girl. Oh, I'll go to church with you, sweetie. Yeah, I'm a Christian guy. Dude, watch out, ladies. It's, 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 a, it's classic of a, of a manipulator and a pretender to claim to be Christian when it benefits them, but to keep their mouth shut when it comes time to really stand for Christ when it might cost you something. You know? And just like these guys, it will negatively affect you. The whole faith move, maybe, you've, maybe you were raised under a, a Joel Steen uh, ministry or uh, Krefro Dalla or one of these you know, um, popular um, faith movement type guys, prosperity teacher guys. Uh, and you might not realize following Christ doesn't just make you rich and make your life better now. Following Christ will cost you something. There will be negative effects by worldly account if you follow Christ. There will be. Jesus is not always good for business if you're really honoring Him. Just like these shepherds. Like they weren't proclaiming to be shepherds to do business because it was going to help their business, because it was going to increase their livestock. No, it was isolating them. That's what it was doing. And, and the same effects will happen as a Christian. And you know what? That's okay. Because God is in that. Just as God is in this guy, is in this family, and He's separating them. He's, he's saying, you are in Egypt, but you are not of Egypt. You are in the world, but as Christians, you are not of the world. So embrace those moments 
where there's negative effects of Christianity. Embrace those moments where there's relational fallout merely because you've professed to be a Christian. We're supposed to stand out, guys. We're supposed to be set apart. God has a land of Goshen for you if you're willing to stand up for Him. A lush, green, beautiful land, not to make you rich and never get you sick, but a place of spiritual abundance where you will have joy in Christ and purpose in Christ. And think about this, guys. The lowly title of a shepherd limited the Israelites from a world's perspective. It was, it was a limitation. Joseph's like, this will really hurt you here, but we're going to embrace this. And the reality is that Jesus will limit you by a worldly perspective. The world's willing to do things to get by in life that as a Christian you're, you should not do. So you will inherently have limitations when you follow Christ from a worldly perspective. But listen to me. Those limitations are what positioned the Israelites for God's protection, preservation, and multiplication. What hurt them initially was what God used to protect them. And if we are to live as Christians, the same same thing will happen to us. The limits that are placed upon us as a Christian will turn out to be the same things God will use to protect you, to multiply you, to bless you, to secure you eternally. He loves turning these things around. And the cool thing about this, guys, is not only can we trust God with what seems to be setbacks. It's like, man, okay, you know, I did the right thing in this, and I'm probably going to lose my job, and, you know, I just trust the Lord. No, no, it's not just trusting the Lord in what seems to be a setback. We can actually anticipate Him turning those setbacks into advantages. That's the cool thing about walking with the Lord, about walking by faith. Now, if I could get political for a moment here, obviously this vaccine issue has been going on for a few months, and I'm not, I'm not against it or for it. Uh, I can talk with you personally about it, but I will, I will say this, that there are, there are some people who don't get the vaccine and it's not of faith at all. They're just, they're just being political and rebellious. But there, I believe there are a lot of people who have chosen not to get the vaccine out of faith. They have felt like they should not do it. And again, if somebody has gotten the vaccine, I'm not saying that God is against you and it was the wrong thing, but I really do believe a lot of people follow their convictions and God's leading to not get it and have suffered consequences for that in their workplace. Um, And I just want to say, if it really was of the Lord, if you really follow the Lord's leading in that, you don't have to be afraid of the repercussions. You don't have to be afraid of the fallout. God is in it. God can line up a better job for you, a better situation for you. You can trust God in these situations. If you felt led to get it by the Lord, you can trust God. If it was of faith, you can trust the Lord with, the circumstance, with, with what happens after that. But we're living in this time where a lot of decisions, not just a vaccine decision, but a lot of decisions will cost you something if you choose to stand on the side of the Word of God. It will cost you something. And we don't have to fear we can go before Pharaoh. We can go before the government officials and our bosses and, and all these authorities in the world and we can say, I am a shepherd. I am a Christ follower. And this is why I'm going to do this or this is why I'm not going to do that. And they don't have to understand, but you're representing the Lord in that situation. You can trust God with the outcome. And I love that. I love that assurance. So in closing, guys, as we've looked at the life of Jacob, 
Every major move in Jacob's life, God was there to direct him. God was faithful to Jacob. God loved Jacob. When he left home to escape Esau's wrath, God was there. When he went to go find a bride in Haran, God was there. When it was time to leave Laban, his father-in-law, which was kind of a dicey situation if you remember that chapter, God was there to confirm. And here in his last trip of his life, God was here to confirm. Every step of the way. And I want to tell you that God desires that for you. God wants to be with you, directing you, guiding you every step of your life till the end of your life. Why? Because He loves you. God does not want you aimlessly wandering through life. He does not want you feeling like you're an orphan. He wants you to know, like Jacob knew, that there is a God in heaven who cares about you and has plans for you and intends to guide and direct you. My, my hope, my prayer for every individual in here is that you would choose to seek the Lord with all your decisions. That like Jacob, you would have your Beersheba moments where you stop and say, Lord, is this what you want from me? You would be sensitive to that so that you don't miss out on anything because God has amazing things and He wants you to walk in all that He has for you. He, want, he has a, plans for you to accomplish amazing things for His kingdom. And my hope and prayer as the pastor of Ignition is that every individual who's in here would choose to follow God in such a way to where you would, you would receive all that God has for you. You would walk in all that God has for you. And you would sense that He is with you every step of the way. Because He is. Because He is. And those of you who maybe don't know the Lord, God wants to direct you too. God cares about you, but there is a problem. Because you will never be sensitive to God's leading unless you commit your life to Christ and receive the Holy Spirit. You won't know. The Bible says you must be born again to be saved. The Bible says that you have to have the Spirit of God in order to discern discern the things of the Spirit. Listen, if, if if you're living your life thinking you know about God, but you're really making decisions on your own, you're flying blind. You're flying blind. You're not... You're not really hearing from the Lord. You need to be born again. You need to receive the Holy Spirit to quicken your spiritual, li- your spiritual soul to life to be able to discern these spiritual things. And what's worse than flying blind is you'll be flying toward eternal judgment and condemnation if you do not have Christ as your Savior. But if you want to experience this relationship that Jacob had, that other believers have, it's really simple. You receive Jesus as your Savior. You turn away from the things you know that God does not want in your life. And I don't, I don't even need to go on a list of, of what sins are. People know generally what they're doing that God would not want in their life. You turn away from those things. You turn to Christ. The Bible says, those who seek the Lord with all their heart will find Him. Those who seek God will find Him when they search with all their heart. Seek Him now, and God will reveal Himself to you. Be bold enough to pray the prayer, God, reveal Yourself to me so that I may follow You. I dare you to pray that prayer and mean it. I dare you, if you're a non-believer, ask God to reveal Himself to you because He will show up in amazing ways that you never would even have imagined. Amen. Let's all stand up and let's pray. So, Father, we want to thank You that You are faithful. Lord, the reminder that You desire to guide us. You desire to direct us. You desire to assure us. Lord, You desire that we would walk in faith so we won't always get every piece to the puzzle.
or see the full picture. But even when we don't understand or fully know, Lord, you're with us. We have that assurance. We have that assurance, Lord, that even if you're leading us into a dangerous situation, a situation where there might be dire consequences, that even in those consequences, we can trust you. Lord, so we rejoice that we have a God that loves us. We have a God that cares about the details of our lives, that cares about every decision that we are to make and that you have not left us orphans, Lord. So I do pray, Lord, for every individual here that is listening, God, that they would continue to seek you, that they would continue to find you on the way, that they would continue to see your handprints all over their life, that they could look back, Lord, and see the track record of your faithfulness leading them, guiding and directing them. And I pray that if any here become sensitive to the fact that they are not on the path anymore, that they've wandered from your will in their life, that they would have the wisdom to get back on track, that you would embrace them, Lord God, and that you would continue to lead them, direct them down the path, down the will of your life uh, for them, Lord God. We thank you for the grace and the mercy that you afford us. And Lord, I do pray for those who have not received you as Savior, that they would have the wisdom to receive you as Savior, to turn from their sins, to live for you, Lord, this moment forward. We pray that your, your kingdom work would continue to, to be done through Ignition and through everyone represented here uh, in this room. We love you, we praise you, and we worship you one more time tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey everyone, Pastor Sean here. Thank you so much for listening. If you're hearing this and you'd like to give your life to the Lord now, I invite you to take the next step. Text the words, Ready for Jesus, to 94000, and we can follow up with you. One of our leaders will be able to contact you and get you some free resources to help you grow in the faith. We invite you to come out to our in-person services every Thursday evening at Calvary Tucson's East Campus in the coffee shop area. We meet at 6.30 p.m. for coffee, and our service starts at 7 p.m. In the meantime, keep reading, keep praying, and keep worshiping. God bless you. Down away.